quick listener's note before we begin. We've recorded this episode on June 11th, 2020, at the very beginning of the uprising in the United States. We'd like you to be aware that we cover some themes that include racism and violence in this episode, and we wanted you to know because we know that can be triggering to some folks. We ask that you please take care of yourselves, your neighbors, and please enjoy the show. We are ready to go. Hell yeah. A very special episode. My favorite special episode of any TV show is when uh, it's on Family Matters. They have a party on the roof at somebody's house and Urkel shows up. Everybody's annoyed. And he like basically like, you know, gets them all like on the dance floor and then proceeds to do the Urkel dance, which is a dance that they all learn immediately. And they all know the lyrics to the song that go with it. And it's a really, really bizarre thing that happens. So much so that Lorenz Tate, who's playing like the, the bully of like the school, gets so annoyed that Urkel is stealing his shine that he spikes the punch bowl. And then Urkel drinks from it, proceeds to become drunk, and later on in the night thinks that he's able to uh, stand on like the, the top of like the, the, the roof, like riding like the, the like the ledge of it. Oh my and god, I remember this. Oh, we both, Erica, both remember this. <laughs> but they don't know how to get to him. And they're like, what do we do? Like, what do we do? And somehow, Aunt Rachel shows up, sees that Steve is, like, stuck, like, wherever, and tightrope walks across one side of the building to the other using a random wire that connects the two and is able to save Urkel and bring him back to, like, the other side of the ledge. I don't know what I was supposed to learn from that. <laughs> That tightrope walking is a really fucking useful skill. Like Cirque du Soleil is, we should all be aiming for that. But yeah, like like you said, Josh, this episode, this very special episode of Not the Oscars, is going to be 100% solely focused on the 1989 film Do the Right Thing, directed and written by Spike Lee. Um, reason being that uh, it came out over 30 years ago. Uh, the themes of it, super relevant. Uh, feels like something that could have been made last week, last month, last year. Um, a friend of mine said, you know, this whole idea of like, you know, when you give out an award, you do it, uh, you should do it 10 years after the piece of art comes out. So the idea would be that, you know, you can really see what life looked like, the landscape, that it really speak to the situations of what people were dealing with at the time. And in doing that, uh, you can really say, like, nah, like, this kind of, like, you know, made the most sense, and it probably will forever and ever. Um, and with that argument, she said that um, there's no way that Driving Miss Daisy would have won an Oscar the same year that Do the Right Thing released. So, yeah, we're just going to talk about this movie. Uh, we all watched it recently. And, yeah, you know, we're going to kind of, like, do it in our own way. It's not going to be the, the the very special episode where, like, we get real with y'all and, like, try to, like, solve racism in, like, you know, two hours because that's not going to happen. But I think it's a, a good opportunity to just look at, like, you know, this piece of art in relation to this podcast that we're doing and this thing that we're trying to create um, to have a conversation about something that didn't get its flowers when it was supposed to, which is kind of in the same vein of what we're doing with this thing every single week. Thanks, Anthony. That was a great introduction. Very well right. said. Uh, I'm Josh, by the way, uh, uh, for uh, for our listeners. And I'm Erica. Um, 
And the three of us comprise the team that create the podcast. Um, it's not to Oscars, it's D'Onofrio. So I hadn't seen this movie in a minute. Um, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought that I would, given that it feels so necessary and it feels so like a, a, a mirror being held up to yourself. I still really enjoyed it. It didn't what? feel like, you know, I was watching like the saddest thing in the world. Yeah. Well, could we, could we give like a like a little synopsis for the movie for maybe people that are listening that uh, maybe haven't seen the film or plan yeah, on seeing sure, it? Sure. Um, so yeah, this film, uh, it's Spike Lee's uh, third, I believe. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's his third. Um, uh, made in 1988. That's fucking um, crazy. I'm sorry that he's, I don't mean to interrupt, but like he's so young in this and like he's already on his third film and it's a fucking... Yeah. He's oh, a baby. He was like, He's a baby in this. They all are. <laughs> this is the such a weird movie to see. People that I kind of when I think of them and you think of like their age, like this is the opposite for me. It was so many people's first film. It was so many like, you know, actors like biggest thing that they had done at the time. Like it's really really weird watching it because it's like who would have thought that like you would get the opportunity to be a part of something that lasts like that, you know? Like, I'm sure Martin Lawrence will always, like, you know, feel like in the back of his mind, like, my first movie was Do the Right Thing. Like, who yeah. can say that? You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, oh, that was his crazy. first movie. That was his first movie. And Rosie Perez. That was both of their first ever movies. So, yeah, um, the movie um, uh, all takes place in one day. Uh, it's told from the perspective of Mookie, played by Spike Lee, um, 25-year-old delivery guy for uh, Sal's Pizza, um, also in his neighborhood. Um, it's the hottest day of the summer. Tension is just high with everybody, uh, with kind of like racial tension being like right at the core of it. And you're just watching as like, you know, the day unfolds. It's like one thing after another, after another. Yeah. It basically like, you know, bubbles over to one of the main characters, Radio Rahim, uh, getting murdered by a police officer who has him in a chokehold after a fight breaks out inside of the, uh, the, the pizza spot in a weird way, kind of felt like what was happening now, where it's like, we're all sitting inside, and like, we're tired, and like, we can't do anything, we can't go anywhere, and you're just mad, and it's like, people are unemployed, and some people are losing their businesses, meanwhile, people are dying from like, this disease, and there are just so many different things, and out of nowhere, like, a person dies at the hands of a police officer, and then everything that comes afterwards, like, you know, that feeling of chaos, that feeling of unrest, that that cleanup, like, afterwards of, like, everybody trying to, like, you know, come to terms with what's just happened, it was all just visible. And it felt just like do the right thing. You're watching is, like, you know, the, the Crucible gets hotter and hotter. And then when it releases steam, it's not even just steam. It's like the top blows off of it. And everybody's watching it because we're all at home and have nothing else to do. The Simpsons have done everything, but they've never done this. <laughs> What's so interesting, I think, watching it just from like a filmmaking perspective, Anthony, like you were saying, you hadn't seen it in a while. Same, I hadn't seen it probably since college. Um, and I, what I remember of this movie is the violence. Um, and Spike Lee brought it kind of back up. He created a short film, which um, he tweeted out last week, 
Um, definitely going to give a trigger and content warning to folks because um, there are some scenes from the movie interspersed with the cell phone footage of both George Floyd and Eric Garner. However, the movie's two hours long and the violence doesn't start until right around the 90 minute mark. So you really sit and live with these characters and their world for three quarters of the, the length of the movie before you know you're watching it happen uh, and you know it's it's headed there. Um, but it's really only the last 30 minutes of the movie in, in which you're actually watching watching things blow up and watching the violence happen. It which kind is of really interesting. Comedy. It really like changes form a lot. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's almost an art house film, Frank. Like, really, if you Mm -hmm. think about the way the way it starts, that's something I was really thinking about. It's very much like a Spike Lee joint. Like the way like he does things, it feels so strange. It almost feels like, oh, like that's not how you should do this shot to this shot, or that's not how you should like frame this character up. Like, it's very bold in that it goes against a lot of things that you know, you're typically accustomed to seeing with movies, but he does it in a way that almost feels like it's his own thing. It's almost like, you know, like Jeff Koons with like, you know, like the balloon piece, like the the balloon animal. It's like, that's his thing. Like, that's like, you know, the thing that he does and like it's different sizes, different colors, different materials. And that's how Spike Lee crafts his movies. It's like, they have this similar vibe of like this similar, like, you know, universe because of how it's shot and because of how the characters talk and you know, it's almost like August Wilson, where it's like this exists in its own type of universe because of how it's being told. But Spike just kind of adds like, you know, some some, I guess, light strokes over top of it. Yeah. And it's almost I, I get the feeling that it's almost you wouldn't be able to do this movie without that, because yeah. at the core of it, it's a deeply it's a deeply like social political movie. And, it, you know, you're not supposed to have a narrative that follows the same, like, you have the arc, you have the characters, and then at the end of a narrative, you have something that kind of ties everything up at the end. Like, no, if we're really going to cut to this problem, it's going to be uncomfortable, it's going to, like, you know, water hose you in the face out of nowhere, and it's probably going to have kind of an unsatisfying ending, but it's going to make you fucking think and pay attention. Like, it was Which- absolutely necessary. Which is so interesting, too, because he got so much pushback about how it ends, where like he had to take it to a completely different studio because they didn't want it to wrap up the way that it does, where it's almost unresolved and like you're just watching what people clean studios? up the chaos and then move on. Um, and that's wild that like they wanted it to be like, oh, like they end with like a hug or like, you know, it's like a bygone to be bygones type thing. And it's like, that's not how this story can end. Like, that that's not it. Can I read to you um, a piece of a review from New York Magazine from when this movie came out? Yes. Hell yeah. Okay. So Vulture just, if anybody wants to find this online, Vulture uh, last week released a piece which which is titled, What Critics Said About Do the Right Thing When It Premiered. Um, And it's literally just clips from famous publications talking about this movie. What's so interesting is there's this line um, from New York Magazine, and um, he says, after he kind of describes what happens, he says, it's his fiction, it's not life. Which is so fascinating to me. 
Um, and then, you know, the, the same, same review goes on to say, if an artist has made his choices and settled on a coherent point of view, he shouldn't be held responsible, I believe, if part of his audience misunderstands him. He should be free to, quote, be dangerous. But Lee hasn't worked coherently. The end of this movie is a shambles, and if some audiences go wild, he's partly responsible. Lee wants to rouse the people to, quote, wake them up, but to do what? Those matching quotations are little more than a confession of artistic and moral impotence. My guess is that Spike Lee thinks, thinks that, oh, there's a typo in here, thinks that violence solves nothing, but he'd like to be, he'd, he'd like to be counted in the black community as an angry man, a man ready, despite his success, to smash things. The end of the movie is an open embrace of futility. David Denby, New York Magazine. Oh, boy. It's funny because it's like, imagine having a, a take as good as Spike Lee's where, like, it holds up so strong 30 years later. And then imagine being on the opposite end of that where it's like, oh, what you said <laughs> I would is hate just to be the person. worst thing ever. Oh, my God. Like, you put that on wax and that's not going away for the rest of your career. Yeah. Oh my god. That's some good payback. Like, that's this good pro- justice. There, I, I didn't look up uh, probably, you know, the same reviews, but I gotta imagine that there's a lot... I would imagine that there's a lot out there like that. Oh, there's yeah, a, it's a lot of people that, that just, respect just, it. And like you said, just, like, they, they almost treat it like an art house film, but, yeah. Yeah, that just, like, they get caught in that it doesn't resolve anything. Yeah. Because a movie has to. It's really in- it's really interesting. I just found that one really interesting in that. I mean, I, I recommend going and finding this this vulture compilation of these reviews, but and that one they lead with it, and I, I, I that one's so fascinating to me um, <laughs> because it's uh, it's so wrong, but also I I think just missed the point in watching this. Um, yeah, and I I don't know how else you would have ended this. Because Fair. things aren't resolved. Um, well, it just would, if you do end it, if you go in any direction, it's just purely fictitious. Right. It's like, because yeah. this is an incredibly complex issue. Like, this movie wouldn't have held up if he would have done anything different. I can't believe he was like 30 years old when he made this, too. Oh, there's, they're like, all- that's crazy. They're also young. Giancarlo Esposito, uh, who I f- feel like most folks will know uh, from Breaking Bad. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you have to really focus. You have to really know it's him going into the movie. Or you will miss <laughs> You will miss that it is him until the credits. Because he's such Polar a opposites. young man in the, in this movie. Like, a, like a, an outspoken, loud, like, kind of like... You know, complete opposite of what he's best known for as a role. True, it, it, it's interesting because you've got this parallel. You've got this this um, this character named Smiley who's going around the entire movie talking about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, and he's selling these photos of them. And um, there's some actually really lovely shots at the beginning of the movie where he's they're kind of setting up. On this, and then the film ends with a quote from two quotes, one from each of, of them. 
Um, but it's interesting, Josh, what you're saying in terms of like the uh, Giancarlo Esposito character um, bugging out and Mookie, who's played by uh, Spike Lee, because I feel like the, the parallels in terms of how we think about both Malcolm X and MLK in terms of just how we have combined them and melded them in in historical context, largely through a, uh, the lens of a white audience, I think. Um, yeah. it, it's, it was striking to me, and this is something I definitely didn't pick up on when I was watching this at like 18 years old, um, the, the parallels and kind of the, the metaphor that was going on there in terms of how do you tackle being treated unfairly? Yeah. Um, and how do you express yourself when you've had enough? It's very real. It's it, everything about it trips me out. Like the fact that he made this movie on such a small budget with the talent that he had mm. and how you can trace so many people's careers from this to other things that they did. That's one of the things I actually don't want to bring up too is like the cast and how so he did uh there's there's a journal of him making this movie that he like was taking mm-hmm. at the same time which oh. when when people do stuff like that it it almost annoys me because it's like <laughs> how is it possible that on top of you making this really incredible thing you documented it like you almost were like hey I want home, y'all yeah. to know it's just well, like you called your shot you shot the shot and then you turned around before it went in well, if I'm this person that is has this topic and this material that I'm starring in, like, writing, you know, all these things, like, and I'm confident enough to make a movie about it, like, I'm gonna go fucking full 360 on it, I'm gonna do everything, like... It's 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 like the thing like you, you almost want to do like as a kid when like you write a book and like it's not a book, it's just like a bunch of like pages with words on it, and then you write art by me. Pictures by me, story by me, <laughs> everything by me. It's like that, me, but like, yeah. but it's also like it's not like a piece of shit like book that you like made out of construction paper, a couple of magic markers, and like a stapler, and you didn't even fold the page as well. It's like no, he made like the one of the best things of his entire life, and he called the shot from jump and got everything right, and then he just stepped away from it, and it fucking drained. And when everybody asked him how he did it, he's like, oh, don't worry. I documented my whole process so that y'all can study this shit because I knew it was going to be that good. Like, it's it's wild. And, it's crazy. and it, it is good. Like, I, it's very watchable. It's very, like, I finished it and I was like, first of all, that doesn't feel like a two-hour movie. Um, mm-hmm. No. And he put a light enough touch on like the character development where like that's just so watchable to to watch this day unfold you, Which I think you could just no, go, ahead. go for it Anthony oh well I was just gonna say like you could tell how fucking prepared he was doing this movie like he did every ounce of research mm-hmm. on not only like his characters and the styles but like, I'm watching this going, like, this guy has been studying ancient Greek theater and fucking, like, every film and everything out there. It's just, and compiled all of it using the things that he knows that are so, like, unique to his voice through, you know, as, as a form that it, like, perfectly works. And it's so, it's so strange and so 
unusual for for a film to be like this, but like like you can't do that. You can't have like a soliloquy in the middle of a fucking like movie unless you know what the fuck you're doing. And he does it multiple times. Like so yeah. often. <laughs> The way the people speak in this is almost Shakespearean. They're like, oh, you have something to say. Like, yes, I have something to say. Like, please, speak it quickly so we can all understand it. Okay. And then it, like, launches in. It's, then there's rebuttals it and it thoughts. so many times. It feels, and I think that's the weird thing about it, too. It feels like black Shakespeare in a way that I yeah. didn't know existed because yeah. I don't think anything else does. You know, it's like the fact that it feels that big and it feels that necessary and it feels that important that it 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 takes itself that seriously is wild. Yeah. I was saying that the fact that like, you know, on top of it, too, it's like I think about myself now and I'm like, I don't know if I have anything to say or that I want to make that I'll leave in the world that's that strong and thinks that highly of itself and is that important that it needs to be made and i and when it and then you know if it were to get made it resonates that way with everybody that that comes into contact with it yeah it's it's hard living in the shadow of this movie <laughs> right like as if you a, think about as it as like, an like, artist like, i have nothing to offer the world that's nearly as good as this I don't know. I guess I want to talk about <laughs> like miniature tea sets and making growing turnips in my dad's backyard. Hey, Josh. I mean, at least you're doing them like for real. I'm doing them on Animal Crossing. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Josh, Josh, you grow those potatoes on your windowsill. That's that's nothing to be ashamed of. You should be proud of that. I am proud of it, and they are coming in strong this year. Like they're they're doing great. But then again, I I gave them ten times more room than they ever have. But that's a whole other podcast, uh, Josh. <laughs> Josh's potato uh, podcast. Um, we'll pl- we'll plug it eventually. But yeah, that's a, that's a whole other subject. Um, but thank you for that, Erica. I appreciate. Of course, it. I love a good potato update. Um, so in, in terms of this movie, um, no, like being good, knowing it's good. It's really interesting because, um, Spike Lee's only been nominated for a handful of Oscars considering how much work he's put out. And also I I learned today when researching him that he directed Inside Man, that movie with Denzel Washington and Clive Owen. That's his highest grossing movie. I had no idea. (laughs) I didn't know that. Um, But so he, his first nomination was for best original screenplay, 1990, do the right thing. Um, In 1998, he was nominated for best documentary feature for four little girls, which is about the Mm -hmm. 16th street um, Baptist church bombing. Yeah. Um, he did receive an honorary award in 2016, and then in 2019, um, he was nominated for um, Best Picture, Best Director, and won for Best Adapted Screenplay for Black Klansman. Um, I almost think, though, that Do the Right Thing is a better movie. Um, and Oh, it is. Uh, you can okay. say that. Yeah, I just... Uh, Try not to be controversial, but it's I I enjoyed Black Klansman. It didn't like stick with me the way I kind of thought it was going to, though. Uh, it almost feels like they uh, the 
the association was just like, well, we kind of fucked up in 1990. So here's almost 20 years later. Uh, let's make sure that he he wins for the screenplay. Oh yeah, it's like you know, it's like Peyton Manning getting another ring before he retires, or like it almost felt like if somehow Tom Brady were able to pull off getting another ring this year, it's like you counted me out and I'm back. <laughs> like that's what it feels like, but like with more time in between. Yeah. Yes. Um, so the other movies that were nominated at the 1999 or at the 1990, excuse me, Oscars that for best original screenplay. Um, so Dead Poet Society won. That was by someone named Tom Schulman. Um, some of these other names are a little bit, I feel like, at least better known to me. Um, Crimes and Woody Allen's Crimes and Misdemeanors, Steven Soderbergh's Sex, Lies, and Videotape, and... Nora Ephron's When Harry Met Sally were the other movies nominated um, in that category. Wild. Nothing yeah. hard-hitting at all. Well... No, and that's what the... I mean, I don't want to throw mud at the of filmmaking in the 90s, but if you look at the larger array of films in the 90s that were, like, critically acclaimed and, like, considered, like, really noteworthy or memorable, a lot of them are just hokey and weird and trashy and fucking racist. So, and, yeah. what's really interesting is, uh, like, of the other movies that were even um, nominated for other things in in this cycle, like, so the Best Picture nominees, so we, are, we already know that Driving Miss Daisy won, right? The other Best Picture nominees, mm-hmm. though, were Born on the Fourth of July, uh, Dead Poet Society, Field of Dreams, and a movie called My Left Foot, which Field of Dreams, <laughs> which I guess my, oh My, my Left, left foot, foot that was uh, uh, has excellent it has excellent reviews and um, Daniel Day Lewis did win for Daniel best best actor in a leading role for that movie, so I have oh, to I assume that it it's like when Meryl Streep's nominated for something like they just win, right? Um, yeah. it's astounding to me that the only actor nomination was Danny Aiello for, for this movie though. Um, that's yeah. really, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be Like shocked, of all the things. But because this, yeah, I mean, this podcast kind of started with the idea of also to like Oscar so white, right? But, uh, yeah. it's also fascinating to me because the winner in that category was Denzel Washington for Glory. I mean, Glory came out this year, too. Um, so mm. you you have three movies that are at their core, right, about race in really different time periods in American history, right? You've got Glory, you've got Do the Right Thing, you've got Driving Miss Daisy, which we can, I guess, talk about. So it's, it's really interesting which movies... I mean, I have theories why we paid attention to certain movies over do the right thing um mostly because i, think I didn't realize this no sorry well, i didn't cut you up oh no i was just gonna say i think glory and driving miss daisy similarly to i don't want to put them in the same category as green book because green book is just a trash fucking movie and i can't believe that it was nominated for best picture um but they're they're movies that i guess make you as uh, both a liberal and a white person feel a little bit better about the black experience in America than say do the right thing, which is more holding a mirror up to what the black experience in America is actually like. Sure. That's real. Cause it's like, Oh, like that's what a movie's supposed to be. It's not supposed to make us feel bad. It's supposed to make us feel good. It's supposed to be happy. Yeah. Like just tell us, tell us enough Tell us enough that, like, we get it, but we don't feel bad afterwards. Cause... Yeah, rock me to sleep. 
Like, make me, like, you yeah, know, not accountable. come on. Yeah. I can't help it. This isn't my fault. I'm not racist. It's Saturday come night. On. I'm out here on a date. Like, leave me alone. Yeah, I've got a paella enough, in the was... oven. Don't fuck with it. Come on. This was the Obama's uh, movie that they saw on their first date. Shut up. No. But here's the best part. They didn't plan to see it. They had actually planned to see Driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that wild? <laughs> That's insane. I love that. Think about Which that also, like, would, would you gone. imagine, like, that was what you were planning to go see, and then you took your first date out to go see Do the Right Thing instead? That sets, like, a, a, a bar for what the night's gonna be. Maybe he <laughs> wouldn't, maybe none, Maybe so much would have been different instead of that's what they saw instead. Oh, my God. I think about it a lot. Do you know that, I don't know if I told you guys this story, I saw Green Book on a date, and, um... Aww. Uh, it's at the Logan Theater. Uh, went on this date. Uh, the whole audience was like older women, and the whole theater clapped at the end of the movie. And the guy I was there with, we just <laughs> looked at each other and we were like, "We have to get the fuck God. the fuck out of here!" Like, what is you're, happening? You're painting right a very now? good picture of the Logan Theater. The theater, though, like, <laughs> but, but wait, my God, like, but wait, this, this story. <laughs> The story has twists and turns because afterwards we went and we were discussing. So this is uh, like last winter, right? 2019. I don't know what was in the news, but um, it's, it was right after the midterms. And um, I had not been dating this guy for very long. And we were talking about just like what an insane experience that was and why the fuck are all those people clapping. And I was just like, man, this makes me so mad. Like, uh, I was like, I I think I said something like I like would love to know what percentage of that movie like is factually accurate other than the fact that these two people exist. And um the the topic turned to voting and that was when this guy told me that he doesn't really believe that voting matters and that he just doesn't vote and i was just like huh and we broke up like a hot minute after that because i was just like yeah i can't erica in the world goes crazy oh my goodness it's like you went (laughs) first and foremost the fact that white people clapped at the end of that movie like they (laughs) They were so just, compelled at the I'm end just, of it that they were like, "Guys, we just cured racism. Let's clap." We it just up. With this was <laughs> a, they should. I bet oh they're all texting like each other. Like we got to make sure our teach. Like they're trying to get a hold of their teachers. Like, can you play this for our kids? Like, oh this needs God. to go into schools. It was painful. If somebody, if I were there, I'd be terrified because I'm like, oh, this is that shit from like Get Out. Like this is that weird like sect of Caucasian that I'm not supposed to be privy to. Like, that's fucking terrifying. But, like, also on top of it, it kind of feels like you were, like, in the middle of the zombie apocalypse. And, like, you and, like, the guy that, like, you were traveling with got out. And then you found out he got fucking bit. Because then he's like, oh, I don't believe in voting. It's like, oh, fuck. We got to end this right now. Kill him with fire. <laughs> I Not you. You were the one I trusted. <laughs> How did you I get bit? You son of a bitch. Now I have to I kill you. I didn't want to tell you. I wanted you to be happy. I was, li- I was so taken <laughs> aback. I was just like, I'm sorry, what? And, of course, I launched into it. I was like as a white male like your life has changed not at all but like let me tell you and like obviously because i'm always on i am never not on a soapbox about voting 
if anybody out there is not registered to vote, please register. I mean, I just, (laughs) I was like lost in the, I was like Luke lost in the fucking snow desert. Like, I was just like, what is happening right now? You just, you just see some pigeons and you go start walking. It's like, you guys got something interesting to talk about? Jesus Christ. Like, oh my God. Who are all these people? Yeah, it was bad. I'm sorry that you had to experience that. <laughs> but like not really because I'm glad that we got the story out of it. Yeah. <laughs> it got us it got us here somehow. It did. One thing I brought it up earlier that I thought was really cool too, and he talks about it in this journal that he wrote. Um he talks about the casting process for the movie. Um and some of the people that he was after, Robert De Niro, who couldn't do it because he had another commitment, Lawrence Fishburne, who he wanted for Radio Rahim. Uh, Delroy Lindo and James Earl Jones, he wanted those to be the, uh, the guys that are just, like, on the stoop, no, the corner guys, like, under, like, the umbrella. Yeah. Um, neither one of them were available. The Greek chorus, if you will. Yeah, he wanted that to be them. And, you know, their lines were completely improvised, they didn't have a script. I believe it. Are you serious? He was just recording them hanging out. That bit about global warming, I was like, wow, this movie really, really is a little too on the nose for 2020. (laughs) It's just shooting its shot everywhere and every shot goes in. It's honestly a terrifying thing if you really think about it. Because, again, it's like Simpsons are a, a joke in comparison to how right it gets in things. Oh, the dude that plays Smiley? Yeah. Um, you know what I'm talking about? The guy who has, like, the photos? Like, he's, like, trying to, like, sell him to uh, Mookie yeah. the whole movie? He was not originally in the script. That actor just kept asking Spike Lee if he could get a role in it. And eventually he was just like, screw it. He just wrote him that part. Wow. What? Really? He's not in the script, which is why if you watch a lot of the scenes, you'll just see him just like hanging out and not doing anything. Like, and it's because he didn't have any lines for him, but he wanted the character to be around. And then he eventually like gave him the the match at the end of the movie, which is interesting because it's like he's the one character that you've always seen who doesn't really have that much of an arc, but he watched the whole thing and then he likes the place on fire. Yeah. 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 I really like, well, that's a very in literature and also plays like that's a, that's an archetype that's very familiar where you have kind of kind of the 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 person in the village that's the most misunderstood or but they kind of turn around to be like you know they are they're the one coming home with the message all along mm-hmm. so it's they're really the quiet observer we, yeah it's interesting to hear that he he was so thrown in at the last moment because it seems so planned i guess that's just a testament to uh how well he shot his Spike shot. Lee's, yeah, <laughs> intuition on all of this. Jesus Christ. Well, because even to just like, and then tack that photo to the wall at the end and just bring the whole thing full circle, where li- literally that's the only, th- like, the answer was right in front of Sal the whole time, right? Mm-hmm. He, even, he even gives him money at one point. He could have just taken the photo, put it up there, and yeah. It's so well done without punching you in the face. It just it just lands and then it's done. Now that I'm thinking about it and like letting it sink in a little bit more, the idea of just that small thing that's right in front of you and that like the person there's someone that's very vocal that you're ignoring is I think also whether that was the intention or not, I think a metaphor for uh, like white allyship. Um, mm-hmm. We were talking about it again last week where I was just like, you know, the black community has been trying to tell us for 
mm, since the 1600s, essentially, that this is this is their experience, and that uh, and we haven't been listening. And um, it is my hope that we will start listening better. Um, but that's so interesting. I didn't yeah. even I didn't even think about it like that until right now. No, that's 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 fucking astute. Some other dope things too about it. You mentioned earlier, Erica, that he's been nominated in different categories. He's the only person of color to be nominated in both categories for uh, screenplays, both adapted and original too. But I wish that he'd gotten it for that. It feels like uh, uh, Al Pacino getting yeah. an Oscar for like *Scent of a Woman*. It's like cool, but like he played a blind man incredibly well. Like, of course you're going to give him the Oscar for this. Or like Leonardo DiCaprio getting it for *The Departed*. I mean, not *The Departed*. What's the name of the joint? The Revenant. Like, the Revenant. Yeah, The Revenant, where it's like oh, he had yeah, to yeah. eat a bison liver raw in order to get an Oscar. It's like, good lord! Like you should have been giving it to him already. I just kept getting it wrong. That's that's why we're doing the Lord's work with this podcast. <laughs> we're doing the fl- we're giving the flowers. We're giving it to the people that really deserve it, and nobody else will fucking acknowledge it. So. I love that you categorize it as the Lord's work, like <laughs> like we're the goddamn Blues Brothers on a mission from God, and it's to make y'all see the error in your ways. Blues Brothers, uh, like that's my hope is that like once like the dust settles from everything, and like we're in a better place in the world. And, like, we're, like, have, like, some kind of, like, new normal that's great for everybody. We can be, like, yeah, we figured out race relations. We figured out being able to work from home. We figured out sick leave. We figured out unemployment. And we made sure that people knew about Vincent D'Onofrio and motherfucking men in black. Because that goddamn <laughs> motherfucker deserves it. That's just great. It's, it's, our, it's already written into my culture. That's just, that's, it's what I, it's what I know. It's what I've been raised on. So, here we are. One of the things I really enjoyed too about the movie was how in sync the production crew was Hmm. or rather like you know like all the people that he surrounded himself with that weren't uh the actors so like his director of was it cinematography director of photography um the guy's name is ernest dickerson uh this dude ernest dickerson he and spike lee were getting their masters together in the same year when they were at tish who funny enough ang lee was also in their graduating class so like all three of them were in class together at the same time can you even um, imagine i, I want to be in that class Jesus. right like I could you imagine That's like terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> um because of the color scheme of the movie because like you know like the whole idea is that it has to feel like you know it's the hottest day of the year the only way to achieve that was to make sure that you had as much sunlight as possible because then you can go back and you can edit the color and you can make it look red, orange, whatever, what have you. In order to do that, you have to have a street that faces the direction that allows for sun to constantly be up, which is east to west. So he determined that we have to do this between Quincy Street and Lexington Avenue because it was the only area of Best Style where they had that much of a stretch where the sun would come up and they could film at any point during the day and not have to worry about like shadows being casted by buildings, have to worry about like stop filming for the day because like, you know, it's almost going to be like, you know, four or five o'clock and the sun's out of the way. It's like, nah, you can film literally from seven o'clock in the morning until like you're done because they were doing like guerrilla filming and they needed as much natural light as they possibly could. Whoa, so, whoa. Testament to his preparedness. This was not shot on a soundstage. Mm-mm. Holy fuck! No, nah, this is all in Brooklyn. It's I would have been. Brooklyn. 
I would have been really surprised if it was shot on a soundstage. It looked like this was shot in a neighborhood. The only things they had to build for this were um, Sal's Pizzeria and uh, the corner store. Those are the only two things. They were just built up on plots of land for the movie. Everything else was like the actual interior of somebody's house or like, you know, somebody's apartment or the radio station. Like all of that was stuff that already existed in the, uh, the neighborhood. This is the one where everything aligned perfectly. Um, because like everybody will always refer to this movie when they talk about any of his other movies, right? Like when you see Mo Better Blues, you think about moments of this or when you're watching uh, um, Chirac. Oh, gosh. When you're watching Chirac, you're wishing that it was this. Like, because yeah. it feels, like, so different, but, like, it uses some of, like, the same things. Because, like, it's, like, you know, like, what we're saying. He feels like an artist who paints, like, in, like, a very similar way every time that he creates. Yeah. And it doesn't work for everything the same way. This is the one where everything aligned perfectly, you know? I guess it's funny that I didn't really think about do the right thing as a, as a, a Greek tragedy. Because... Chirac is literally Lysistrata. Um. Yeah. Yep. And it's funny because he got so much shit for it, but like nobody made the correlation that like all of his movies are Greek drama. Yeah, it's like, why are you going to come at me now? Like, I've been literally been doing this. And it's funny because everybody came at him and they were like, why, why would you take Greek tragedy and try to turn that into something about life? And he's like, because I've been doing it my entire career, but nobody looked at it that way. And everybody and also, like, it didn't does quite it. Land. Jesus. I auditioned for that movie for Spike Lee. Really? Oh, my yeah. God. Um, did, it was over Did at, I know that? You never uh, mentioned that. I, I guess I've never had a reason to. Um, yeah, he uh, was here at the Black Ensemble Theater. When I got called in, he was actually on a phone call. Um, and he was wrapping up the call as, like, I was coming in to, like, you know, get slated and all that stuff. And, like, he apologized, whatever. And, like, we did it. Um, and the monologue that I had, I was gonna, I was reading for one of these guys that, uh, gets shot early in the movie. And then he comes back and has, like, a soliloquy later on where he talks about, like, what it, the experience was. Mm -hmm. Um, so I read it the first time. He just listened to the whole thing. And he was like, all right, do it again do it faster and then i did it again and i started speeding up and then like m maybe i got eight lines out and he was like that's too fast and then i slowed it down and like, i started doing it again and he goes nope that's too slow and then i had to speed it up again so like i'm doing all of that he stopped me again and told me to say one of the lines differently he is like nah he's like you said right there he's like i was the boy he's like say i was the man and like i had to go back and like do it again that way he was like yeah he's like put more force behind it say it one more time say it. i was the man like i had to like really give it to him like again um and then he changed another line that i had later on in it and then he had me do it one more time at the end and then he asked me what my name was and i told him he was like where are you from i was like i'm from dc he was like oh chocolate city i was like yes sir he was like well, thank you very much appreciate you for coming out i was like cool and that was it so i didn't book the shit um and then when i saw it later on the guy that got it was like a good 70 pounds like uh lighter than i was because the character like had to have gotten shot and like had lost a lot of weight in the hospital, which makes mm. sense. Um, uh, but yeah, it was just cool. Like I got to audition but for Spike still. Lee, and everybody that's auditioned for him or like has worked with him says similar things of like he just gets you to try things twenty different ways, just throwing you pitch after pitch to see if you can hit it, and he's almost yeah. like testing you, and that's like his process. 
So yeah. I got to experience that in like some kind of capacity for like two Damn, minutes. Damn, man. That's so cool. I'm surprised I've never heard that from you. Yeah. I've never had a reason to really bring it up before. Um, well, thank God we, we do this podcast. The Lord's work. <laughs> so what what kind of award could we give him? Because it seems like he's more deserving of the Vincent D'Onofrio Award. One thing I'm actually thinking about, not like I'm talking out loud. I was going to say like, oh, like, why don't we just call like, you know, the Do the Right Thing Award or like, you know, like the Mookie Award, something like that. But I'm like, no, nah, that's not it. Um, School Days was the movie that he made before this one, which is about the, the uh, HBCU experience. So the last line of that movie is wake up. The first line of this movie is wake up. What if we called it the wake up award of like, y'all, like you got to You got to You got to A, be woke. You got to, you know, be paying attention to the fact that this thing exists you obviously are that good that you can like you know shoot a shot like that and it lands like it's like oh like you know like i'm gonna drop this line two years before this movie comes out and it's gonna be the first line of the next one that's gonna work like pixar does that with their movies now but like nobody else does crazy shit like that like that if i had to call it something i say it's the wake up award it's like our lifetime achievement i love it well well done anthony thanks i will admit i didn't even get to all of my notes um actually before like we start to wrap, no 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 because oh, there's sure, sure. i think there's there's so much more that can be said about it but there is one other thing too did y'all know this is actually based on like a story like a real thing no not surprised all right so this is basically what happened um so this movie was filmed in 1988 um two years prior december of 1986 uh, these four guys, four black guys, um, they were driving um, in a car and it broke down on like this random street um, in the middle of Queens. There was nowhere for them to go. Like, you know, it was like completely like, you know, just like deserted. And uh, three of them decided they were going to go walk to go, you know, get some help. And then one of them stayed behind with the car. As they were walking, a bunch of these like white teens that were like, you know, hanging out nearby, they start like yelling and like, you know, harassing or whatever. And they get into a, like, you know, a little bit of a verbal argument. And then that moment ends, they keep going. Uh, a little after midnight, they get to uh, a pizza spot. The same group of guys that they saw when they were walking up the street came back to the pizza spot and they brought more people with them. So the guys, like, they start like yelling at each other, whatever. Apparently, like, you know, they start throwing around M bombs and some more stuff. And a fight breaks up. Um, one of the guys got beaten up pretty bad. Um, another one of them, um, he, he got away. Uh, but another one, um, ran onto the highway and he got hit by a car. Um, completely like, you know, random. It wasn't somebody that was involved with the fight, whatever. He just got hit and they found his body on the freeway, like a couple minutes afterwards. Everybody had escaped, everybody dispersed and, after everything and like blown up there he was spike lee used that story as inspiration for this man and it blows me away that because the message that like comes through is that this movie is called do the right thing and this movie like ends with you know no real resolution and nothing really changes you're kind of left thinking about what that is and it's really yeah about like we gotta we gotta talk about why this happened and (laughs) <laughs> you know why people acted the way they did peter travers from rolling stone said when this movie came out lee will probably be trounced for not taking a clear-cut stand but how could he 
the Black community has been struggling for years to reconcile those two philosophies. It would be presumptuous of Lee, not to mention disastrous for the film, to do the thinking for an audience. Lee offers no assurance, no uplift, no call for all races to join hands and spout liberal platitudes. What he does offer is a devastating portrait of Black America pushed to the limit, with the outcome still to be written. There's only one way to do the wrong thing about do the right thing, and that would be to ignore it. Wow. I love that we got to hear the worst possible review ever for this movie. And then the the review that says the exact same thing about what we're experiencing in life right now. And it's like... Yeah, thank you for that, Erica. That was very well-timed and crafted. Well... I think we've said everything we're going to say about this. And we have no like final words or anything we're going to throw out. I think I'd just like to say to you both, um, I am so grateful that we started doing this during this time of uncertainty, which was the, the you oh, know, the boy. quarantine. Um, and that we're able to have this conversation tonight. Obviously there's a lot of work to be done, but I'm just grateful for you both and i'm glad that we're able to both have this conversation but also laugh a little bit from time to time um and it's been for me um one of the lighter parts of the past few months so thank you both for that yeah i appreciate that too it's we we've we've struck a good balance with this of just let's take bunch of people a couple of people that you trust and you love and find a way to have fun and still acknowledge and really you know open up some of these things when it's necessary yeah this has been fun i've been enjoying it well thank you both for your thought and your voices anthony thank you so much for sharing and leading this conversation um this was fun y'all yeah Thanks for listening to this very special episode of Not to Oscars. We will be back next week with one of our normal episodes. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and like and subscribe on your favorite listening platform. And after you rate us five stars, please visit vote.gov, that's V-O-T-E dot G-O-V, and make sure that you are registered to vote. We will see you next week. 